there's a, a young man, I'm blanking on his last name, but I know his first name is Jake. Is it Walsh? Is that his, is that his name? Yeah, so he is not here tonight. That would be super cool. Um, he got called up today and is now number 61 for the St. Louis Cardinals, which is the greatest baseball team ever in the existence of the world. And so I'm just saying, I'm sorry, what? You have the right to be wrong. It's okay. So I can't imagine, I can't imagine uh, living, growing up and, and having wanted to be a Major League Baseball player all your life and all of a sudden getting that call and getting to go up. So here's my thing. I want you to walk around, introduce yourself to at least eight people that you've not said hello to yet. And I want you to tell them what you wanted to be when you, when you were small. When you, when you grew up, what did you want to be? Taller is not a correct answer. On your mark, get set, find at least eight people. Hello, Cartaginis. Fred wanted to be the lead. What band, though? Did you have one in mind or your own or did it matter? Would you have gone heavy metal or rock? What would it? Okay, both. <laughs> That's good stuff right there. I can remember being, uh, I wanted to be a professional basketball player. And, uh, and yeah, you know, you know the this whole thing about parents telling their kids they can be whatever they want to be. No, that's not that's not true. I'm all of five seven, incredibly white, and I can't shoot either. And so there you go. Yeah. Other than that, it was my dream. You know. No, I'm telling you, I've, I've uh, uh, my my father. If you split my father down the middle, uh, you get both my brother and I. My brother is a is a basketball coach at Houston Baptist University, and and he also keeps stats for the Houston Astros, uh, or he used to keep stats for the Houston Astros. And then uh, the other half of my father. My father is sport, family, sports, and ministry, and that's and that's so. Uh, and my brother and I are both in ministry because my brother has access to twelve players every year that he disciples, and uh, and. Encourages them to become more like Christ. And so, no, I love what I do. I just thought that was so cool when I saw that a guy from South Beach, uh, a little league, is now playing it for my favorite team. So I was, I was telling somebody, um, so I, I just need to know when I can place my order because I, I need to see uh, Albert Pujols play before he retires. It'd be great. Yada here. All that. So I uh, see a lot of new faces tonight, and we are so great, grateful that you are here. Um, we are in this journey called Route 66, and so we have been going book by book uh, through the Bible and just getting—it's just an overview. We're just trying to get an understanding— of what each book uh, is talking about so that when you're at a church and the pastor's preaching through this book or maybe you're in a small group and you're studying this book or you're somewhere uh, and you hear a sermon or a lesson or something from one of these books, you kind of have uh, a general idea of, of what it's about and what it's looking at. And tonight we are in 1 Corinthians. Uh, last week we were in Romans, which is the systematic theology book of the Bible. Uh, but tonight we are in 1 Corinthians. There are Bibles under the chairs if you need one. Um, if you would go ahead and find Paul's first letter, actually, it's gonna, we're gonna, as we're going to learn, it's going to be, it's really his second letter to the Corinthians. We'll talk about that in a minute. But you got a question. you got sheets there at the table. If you'll share those around, 
But I'd like you to answer a question, I'm, and I'm not assuming that everybody in the room is, is a professing Christian, but uh, I want to ask a question that kind of relates more to the folks that uh, are on a journey with Jesus. Um, I want to ask the question, what do you know is, is different about you because of your relationship with Christ? And I, and I kind of phrased it by the saying the sentence, if it wasn't for Christ, I'd probably boom. And you, you can fill in that blank. Uh, I, I think knowing my personality, uh, if, if I was not a Christ follower, I would probably be incredibly dogmatic and arrogant about whatever I did believe. Uh, and and I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd be wrong uh, and I'd be full throttle. Uh, you know, I'd be, I'd be going to hell full charge. Uh, and, you know, uh, but, you know, if you don't mind sharing around your table, this is sort of diving into the deep end from the get-go. But if you wouldn't mind, answer that question around your table. You know, what is, what, or, or you can answer it this way. What is the difference that Christ has made in your life? What is a difference that Christ has made in your life? Uh, I know that, and, and it doesn't just have to be, you know, I was saved at the age of seven. Uh, there wasn't a lot of, um, you know, I wasn't a, a member of a gang. I hadn't, you know, robbed any banks. I hadn't, you know, uh, anything like that. But I can tell you that as I have progressed in my relationship with Christ, um, that I, I have watched um, my personality soften. Uh, and I can, you know, I, my, my, I've, I've known people and I've identified with people that had tempers and, and I've watched as the Lord has changed that aspect of who I was. I, I think if it weren't for the Lord, if it weren't for Christ in my life, I would have a temper. Uh, and, and so, and my daughters may tell you that I still do and they can get over it. Um, but, um, but, you know, so just that with that kind of thought in mind, I like your socks, right? Uh, with that kind of in mind, just answer the question, uh, what is the difference that you know, what is a difference that you know Christ has made in your life? On your mark, get set, go. So, so let me ask, does anybody, would anybody mind answering the question in front of everybody else? Would anybody mind, just if, if it weren't for Christ, or what is the difference Christ has made in your life? If it weren't for Christ, I'd be whatever. Anybody? Depressed. Say it again. Depressed. Depressed. Hopeless. What else? Say it again. In jail. In jail. <laughs> I'd be incarcerated. <laughs> Doris would be single. <laughs> I have a dead. I would have committed suicide. Okay. What else? Lost. Okay. What do you mean by that? Okay. Yeah. Purpose. Purposeless. Okay. Anybody else? Selfish. Selfish. There's, there's a. Of. Christ changes your perspective. Okay. I like that. Um, one of the, what? You're gonna say what? No, you were not. If it weren't for Christ, you would be worried about everything. Okay, I think that kind of goes with the depressed idea as well. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things that I I, I honestly there are times where. And I, I don't say this out loud very often, um, especially when I'm on the platform or preaching. And tell me if you've wrestled with this as well. But I, I honestly don't know how people get through certain situations in life without the Lord. 
I, I have, I mean, and, I, and I'm talking about like godly people who love, like I love my wife, but there are days where I can't fathom how we're still married. And I, and I know that sounds harsh and awful, but I love her with everything that I am. But there are days where we're just, we're very different people. And, 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 it, and it's like, it's the love of God that is keeping her with me. I know it, you know, I, you know that, but it's also, I can't fathom how people walk through certain seasons of life without Christ. He is, he's the bridge that helps us get through uh, what we're going through. And then I realized that they're not really, they're not really getting through it. That's what's happening. Uh, and so um, I'm a new creation in Christ. All things are new and the old has passed away. The thing about being a Christian, you know, justification is that, is that um, moment. Sanctification is this process by which we become more Christ-like. Um, when we become a new creation and the new things come and the old passes, we have to understand that that is still very much a process. Uh, I had the privilege of, of uh, being a part of a gentleman by the name of James coming to Christ and James, James was in New Orleans, and I, I was right there when, when in, in the kind of the season where he was beginning to become a Christ follower. And, and James was a taxi driver, but James had a mouth on him. And I mean, James had a mouth on him. I'm like, I'm like, I didn't know that that was a verb. Okay. Um, <laughs> Wow, um, that was new for me. And um, when James came to know the Lord, uh, his mouth did not change overnight. Uh, it was one of those things where he had to realize that the words he was using were not edifying. They weren't encouraging. They were, they were not, you know, and, and I'm not talking, I, I think we, we would all be honest enough to say we kind of all slip every now and then or something like that. But I'm talking about like his regular language and the attitude behind his regular language had, was, was a, a shift. In matter of fact, there's one, uh, I think I've told this before, but uh, we went on a mission trip to New York City one time and um, I woke up a little earlier than everybody else and I thought, you know what? I'm going to be a nice guy and I'm going to make everybody coffee. Here's the problem with me making coffee. I think the only people that need to be allowed to make coffee in this world are people who drink coffee in this world. But I thought I would, I would be nice and I would make coffee for everybody. And um, so I get up and I'm up and I'm like, I am making the coffee and it's going to be awesome. And everybody's going to be happy. And I'm going to be the hero of the morning. And James and my wife are the first two people up and they come down and they go to the kitchen and I place myself so that I can see their reaction when they see that somebody's made coffee for them. And, and the word that I'm not going to use begins with a sh. And so James takes the first sip of coffee and I'm, I'm just sitting there and I'm waiting to hear the accolades. And James says, who made this? <laughs> And, and, and Julie's like, this is the worst coffee. Some idiot made this coffee. I cannot believe somebody wasted their entire morning making this garbage. And I mean, I am like, and then Julie and I catch eyes and she realizes that that's the idiot who made the coffee. And, uh, and then she looks at James and she goes, but I'm sure they had the best intentions. And, ja <laughs> and James was like, no, this guy's a blah, blah, blah. And I'm like... And he was like, we're going to Starbucks, and this person's getting fired. And I'm sitting there going, 
And Julie's just laughing. She just thinks it's funny. But all that to say, so James, it took a process, uh, and it took people coming alongside James to say, hey, um, you know, James loved kids, and, and James loved working with, wanted to, wanted to serve with kids. And we're like, hey, we got to work through a couple of things before you become their primary Sunday school teacher. Um, you know, those words aren't in the Bible, you know. Um, one of them is, but not how you're using it, um, you know. And, and so, but it was a process, um, and, and that's sort of descriptive of what's, what we're finding in the, in the Corinthian church uh, as Paul is addressing them. Let me cover a couple of things. First, there are two goals, and I think this is on your sheet. There are two goals in Paul's writing uh, the Corinthians. Uh, the first is unity. The first is unity. The second is pride and practices. Paul is trying to deal with unity, and Paul is, is also dealing with pride and practices. Paul came to Corinth about 50 AD. Uh, he planted the church, and he stayed there for about two years. More than likely, it was probably about a year and a half. Um, and then from Corinth, he went to Ephesus. Um, at some point along his missionary journey, he was informed that there were problems in the church that he had planted at Corinth. And so he started to write them letters. Uh, like I said a minute ago, 1 Corinthians is actually his second letter to the church at Corinth. Uh, the, the first letter uh, is, is lost. We don't have it. Uh, but it obviously, whatever it said, it didn't accomplish uh, what he intended it, what he purposed for it. Uh, so he wrote this second letter, what we have is 1 Corinthians, and it's a letter that's focusing on really serious issues within the Corinthian church, uh, between believers in the Corinthian church. Uh, it's a letter that's focusing on their need for unity, but it's a letter that's also focusing on uh, their spiritual pride as well as their sinful practices. You know, one of the perspectives of the letter, if you wanted to divide it into uh, two sections, uh, it's both ended by an introduction and a conclusion. Uh, he, Paul always has sort of a greeting that provides also a little bit of a summary, and then at the tail end, he'll kind of give his parting parting words, plus, uh, please know that either these people are coming to you, or I want you to listen to these folks. But in the center, chapters 1 through 6 really focus on the issues. Chapters 1 through 6 really focus on the issues. Chapters 7 through 16 focus on the instruction. In other words, what he's going to cover in the first six chapters or these are the problems I've heard you're having. Uh, you've got people. Uh, you've got people having uh, sexual immor immorality that shouldn't be that you're not dealing with. You've got people that are false teachers, and you're not dealing with them. Uh, you, here are the issues that you're having. And then once he covers the issues that they're having, he gives them instruction on how they ought to be living. Instruction uh, issues uh, that they need to deal with. Instructions on how to be living. So one of the things, and this is question number two that I want you to talk about at your tables. Um, uh, there's a book by a guy named Dan Kimball, and I don't, I don't necessarily recommend this book wholeheartedly, except for uh, the fact that I appreciate his premise, which is... Um, how the perspective of lost people, uh, the perspective of people who, who are not church, don't have a relationship with Jesus. So I want to ask you this, from their perspective, why is this statement true? They like Jesus, but they don't like the church. What would make that statement true to people who do not have a relationship with Christ, people who are on the outside looking in? Talk about that around your tables, on your market, set, go. Why would they possibly like Jesus, but not the church? What are the obstacles? Yes, ma'am. Um, that we don't want church discussing that um, we're against that. Sure. Okay. 
What else? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. The, the church is too, comes across as too much work, where Jesus comes across as he's doing something for you, not necessarily you having to do something for him. Good thought. Again, what else? Yes, sir. Full of hypocrites. Elaborate. Give me more. Elaborate. Yeah. What else? Anything? Sure. The problem with the Corinthian church is not unlike uh, what we struggle with, and, and all those are correct answers. Uh, if you were to do surveys and stuff like that, which when we were at the seminary, we did. When I was at the seminary, we did a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, one of the really the top two or three reasons that people don't like church uh, is that they're always there. We come across as we're always asking for money. Uh, we always need money for something. Uh, number two uh, is really it's it's the judgmental thing. Uh, that we come across, and then it's the hip, it is the hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is really the number one reason that people come to church, they check it off their list, and then they go live a certain way outside of the walls. Uh, and, and more often than not, those are because we're we're not really discipling people. Uh, we're we're not making Christ likeness, Christ followers, uh, or they weren't they weren't genuinely saved and repentant in the, at the at the onset, and, and that's not that journey is not really started. What's happening in the church at Corinth is is exactly that they are they are supposedly saved but they're still living like they were beforehand and there's really a couple of things that are happening they, they've not really embraced the whole new creation thing but what's also happening is they are allowing the culture outside the walls of the church or outside the body of Christ. They're allowing the culture to be more of an influence on who they are as the church as opposed to their influence of the world around them. Does that sound familiar? And I, and I said this to our staff the other day. Um, we, we will try, we will do creative things as often as we can. We'll be as creative and we want to pursue excellence. And, and we're, we're hitting bumps in the road. As we're growing, we're hitting bumps in the road. Uh, we, we need even, I mean, uh, great example. Of, I don't know what the number is right now, but I think we've got four weeks left till VBS and we're already at 235 kids. And like my, I'm just, my, I'm imploding. You know, and so we already need to we already need to create more elementary classes, and so we need more we need more workers and stuff. So we're always going to be hitting these you know things. So as growth, there's always going to be challenges in ministry with excellence. We can do a number of creative things. We can have that. We did the piano thing at uh, at Christmas. We can do a lot of creative thing. But the thing is, if we really boil it down to it, the world is always going to be able to do that stuff better than we will. They're always going to have more resources. They're always going to have bigger pools. They're always going to... But what we need to do, what we need to do well are the two things that he's given us the ability to do. The Word of God and relationships with people. The Word of God and relationships with people. 
bringing people into a personal relationship with God by understanding his word better and letting it permeate the world that we live in. But what's happening is the church at Corinth is allowing the world that they live in to influence the church and look like that. Um, if you've got your Bibles, uh, look, look at the first chapter here. We're going to look at both those two ideas kind of quickly. Uh, the first blank says the church at Cor Corinth was a divided church. It was a divided church. Look at uh, chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 10 through 17. It says, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. Um, we're going to talk a little bit in a minute about unity, but it's an emphasis here of Paul's in the in Corinthians. But the other thing, uh, this idea of allowing the culture to influence, if you'll hold your place in 1 Corinthians and turn to Romans chapter 1. Turn to Romans chapter 1. If you're new to Bible study, Romans is the book right before 1 Corinthians. If you hit Acts, you've gone a little bit too far. If you want to know what the Corinthian culture was like, turn to Romans chapter 1 and look at verses 18 through 32. We're not going to read the whole thing, but Paul is writing the book of Corinthians, this letter to the Corinthians while he is in Rome. And so what he's probably doing is looking outside of his window and watching the culture and realizing that Rome has influenced Corinth. Corinth is following Rome because it's a philosophical, it's an educational, it is a cultural uh, hot spot. And it's going to follow Rome and what Rome ever does. So Paul's looking out the door. So for, if, for God's wrath, verse 18, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. God, in other words, they know it, but they're not letting it impact their lifestyle. For his invisible attributes, his, attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen by his uh, so eternal nature, divine nature, and clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse, for though they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God. And so if you keep reading through 18 through 32, you're going to get a sense of what the culture of Corinth is like as Paul is writing to them. And it's these two ideas that, number one, Corinth is a divided church, and number two, Corinth is a tainted church. Corinth is a tainted church. And so in the first six chapters, Paul takes a look at these issues and that the church is dealing with, the sin issues that are plaguing the people, and they're plaguing the people, they're plaguing their relationships with one another, and they're, therefore it's plaguing their influence. So if, um, if, if, you, if I were to get up and preach, um, on, on, and we were to do a series on money, uh, we were to do a series on tithing, and we were to do a series on being good stewards of our resources. And then a couple of weeks after that, you discovered that I had, a bit, I had been embezzling fun, money. What is that going to do? My credibility shot. Like, you might forgive me, and you might give me an opportunity. To, you might give me another opportunity to lead but, but my credibility is going to be shot. Or if I talk about parenting, if I, if I do you know, lessons on parenting, then you find out that I've been beating my kids for years. You know, you're you're going you're gonna to have a problem 
with, with my leadership. And we could talk, we could go, you know, sin after sin after sin after sin. But what is happening in the church at Corinth is they are divided based on who they think they need to be following. If you go into fir- the ch- first chapter, you have this conversation of, you know, if you want to follow Paul, if you want to follow Apollos, if you want to follow Cephas, if you want to follow this person, you know, and they're having this, they're divided by who, whose leadership to follow. And it'd be like, uh, it'd be like uh, being here and wondering, okay, well, we really like Jonathan. We, we really like it when he preaches and we really like, you know, the things that he's saying. But then you have this group over here that really, they, they really prefer the way Elmer does things. And so they, they really, they really want, they, let's just, let's just build that class. Well, you got this group over here that they're only going to come when Josh preaches. And, and they're, and they're going to do this. But then you've got this other group that, man, Karen's, Karen's their person. And they're, they're going to they're storm the gates of hell. And Karen, Karen's it. That's what's happening from a division standpoint. But the other thing that you have happening here is that they are living godless lives. The Christians, the believers, the church people are living godless lives. And they're just doing it all willy-nilly. They're not, they're, not, they're not being anything different. Let me stop. It's not on your thing. But why are we supposed to be different? Why are we as Christians supposed to be different? We are, we are the model. We are the representatives. We, there is supposed to be something different and unique about us. Our actions, our reactions, our responses, the language that we use, the things that we say. They will know us by our love one for another. Gary? I want, you, I want you to look at the, the first read and react. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, and then somebody else read verse 10 through 23 and 24 and answer questions 3 and 4. Look at that read and react. Somebody read those out loud. And then look at questions 3 and 4 and see if we can't discover a little bit about this. On your mark, set, go. What is the, what do you get from this? What do you get from these verses? Elmer can't answer it. What do you hear when you read th- these these verses? Others first. Others first. Okay. Yes, ma'am. So, uh, Stephanie, Stephanie, and I had a little bit of this conversation yesterday um, when we talked about our name. Like, if, like the girls used, we're not so much anymore uh, because they've kind of. It's a part of who they are. But there was a time where the girls would look at you and they would say, they would even answer people, we don't do that because we're keys. Or, or this is who we are because we're keys. Our last name is Key, so this is what... You knew that a key behaved like this, or you knew that a key wasn't going to do that. You're not even going to ask me because I'm a key. So here's what's happening, then jump in. Um, you know, you have this phrase, everything is permissible, uh, but not everything is beneficial. And what one of the abuses that is happening in the church at Corinth uh, is, is this idea of, of... It's an abuse of freedom, uh, is what is happening. They, are, they, are, they feel the freedom to sin... Because that, that sin is going to be forgiven. 
Like, and so they just, we're going to do this. We're going to live this way because it's going to be forgiven. And it's really an argument that is happening because of these divisions and because of who they're, who they're trying to choose and follow. But what Paul is saying is, you know, some things are permissible. Some things are allowable, but not everything is beneficial. So you, because you're, what's happening is one of the best ways I heard one of my college professors said this way is that they were using each other as the standard of godliness. Like, as long as I'm more godly than that guy, I'm good to go. As long as, as long as I'm a little more, as long as I'm a little more like Jesus than her, then I'm good. And I was pointing to Doris. So just, you know, as long as I'm, I'm kidding. Pointing to Lisa, um, and so um, you know, and what was happening, and, and, and I thought this was a, a incredible. And when you go back and you read, that's what's happening. That's why there are divisions. I'm following this guy because I think he's a little more right than this guy. And I'm, I'm following this guy, and what they're, what's happening is their standard are the people around them. And then what happens is not only am I, am I, you know, Gary's in our church. Not only am I a little godlier than Gary, but then Gary, I'm, I lose, I lose my attention on Gary and then I start to look at some of the people out there and I'm way godlier than they are and now you have this false spiritual pride that Paul is having to deal with at the very very beginning but y'all it doesn't matter if I'm godlier than the people out there because my godliness my righteousness is nothing in comparison to what is the righteousness of God scripture tells us it's like filthy rags and but that's what's happening in the church at Corinth. They start by having this freedom, this newfound freedom in Christ to do whatever they can because it's going to be forgiven. And Paul's like, hold up on that car wash. This is not this is not what it what it's looking like. And that's what he's that's kind of what he's dealing with. But then we have this issue of, of unity. Turn to chapter twelve, if you don't mind. Turn to chapter twelve. And like Romans, both First and Second Corinthians, which Elmer's going to cover next week, uh, both first thing. There's just a lot of meat. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to read. Verse chapter twelve. Now concerning spiritual gifts, this is one example among many. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, when you were lost, when you were not believers, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute, useless idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit, capital S, Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's a great introduction to this thought. And I want to emphasize one word that appears constantly, and I want you to recognize it. Now there are different gifts, but the same spirit. There are different ministries, but the there are different activities, but the God produces each gift in each person. A manifestation of the spirit is given to each person for the common good. And then it goes through the gifts. And then verse 11 says one and the same spirit in all these distributing to each person as he wills. The, the reason that he's using same over and over and over again as he's, in, as he's now in the middle, midst of his instruction is the same reason he talked about it at the very beginning in chapter 1. There is a divided church in Corinth, and what he is saying is we've got to stop all these little factions, and we've got to believe in this because we have one spirit, we have one God, we have one Savior, we have one Christ, and that's who we follow. And if we're t under the teaching of Paul, if we're 
under the teaching of Apollos, if we're under the teaching of Peter, as long as they are focused on Christ, the cross, and the fulfillment of Scripture, then we're all on the same page, and that's where we need to be. So here's my question, and we don't have to do it in groups, but I want to ask you, I've said this probably for the last couple of weeks as we begun talking about Paul, because it is a constant, constant theme, and it's going to continue to be. Why is unity so important? Anybody? Because if we're not unified, what do you mean by that? If we're not unified, what makes us different is what she said. If we can't get along with each other, does that mean that we have to agree all the time? Are we going to agree all the time? Matter of fact, I think sometimes they will see more of Christ in our disagreements if we handle our disagreements appropriately than they might see in our agreements. There are ways to disagree with one another, folks. We can have godly disagreements. We can see things from a different perspective. We don't have a lot of business meetings here. Number one, because we're not going to have these open forums for people to disagree with one another. We don't need everybody's input on what the color of the carpet is going to be. Where you have 100 people in a room, you're going to have 175 opinions. By the way, we are going to have a family meeting on June 1st. And I want to encourage you, not just encourage you to be here, but I want you to encourage the other folks in our church family to be here that night. We're going to look at the budget, but we're also going to do some vision casting for what I believe the Lord has in the days in front of us. And so I want to ask you to be here and bring somebody with you that night. Why else is unity so vital to who we are? Let's talk, let's, let's talk about being on our own in success. What does that lead to? If we're, if, we're, if we're on our own and, and we're, we're looking at everybody else and we're successful, what does that lead to? Pride. And pride cometh before a... I mean, you're just asking for it. Now let's go to the other end. If you are all alone in trials, what's going to happen? Defeated. I like the way Adam Greenway said it in a recent um, sermon he did at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He said, we don't have to have conformity in every area in order to have unity in terms of our work and our worship. I'll say it again. We don't have to have conformity in every area in order to have unity in terms of our work and our worship. So here's, and you're kind of re repeating the theme, but here's what's happening in the, Corinthian, in the Corinthian church, is they're already divided. And so what happens is because they're divided, sin is seeping in. The enemy is coming through. And that is my biggest thing. I've, I'm going to repeat it until I, I blew in the face. When we do our encounter class, when you join our church, the first expectation is unity. It is not uniformity. It is not conformity. But I firmly believe that, that we can, and we can have disagreements and we can have, we can have arguments if you want to. We'll do them privately. We'll do them respectfully. And then we'll walk out here and it'll be all good. But, but I believe the, the biggest thing, and we can deal with, we can deal with any sin that people are walking through. If, if somebody says they're struggling with this or if somebody says that they have an addiction to this or somebody says that this is happening in their marriage or somebody says that this is going on, we are going to walk through this with people. It may be through a church discipline kind of season. It may be through a, hey, we're going to help you in this kind of season, but we can walk through anything. And what happens is the enemy will try to get our, rarely tries to get our attention with the big stuff. What happens is he tries to slip through the cracks by getting us to be divided. 
by getting this little yang out over here. Well, 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 well you know, this, this class, well, they really like the way George teaches, but, but they don't really like the way that, that Jonathan preaches. And, and we're just going to go to Sunday. We're just going to go to our Bible fellowship class, and then we're not going to go to worship. Or we're gonna, and then it's called murmuring. I had a professor in college who came in one, one morning and repented for murmuring. He had murmured all the way to class because he had to walk in the rain. And then the rest of us started just confessing sins. It was really weird. <laughs> but what the enemy tries to do is if he can get... So Scott's one of our worship leaders, and I'm, I'm, I'm preaching each week. And if the, if the enemy can... can, can get us be create a division here sunday morning's not going to flow and here's and here's what's funny is people notice stuff like that people notice if 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 there's a division between he and i and there's not and by the way i'm not embezzling funds and i do not beat my children um <laughs> i thought i'd throw those things out there just so everybody knows um, uh, so it, it is this huge issue that they're following different leaders. Uh, they're not, they're still toddlers in their faith. They're still, they're still sinners. We're all still sinners. They're still sinners, but they're divided with who they're going to follow. So they're not unified. And what's happening in their division is sin is entering in. And because sin is entering in, these new believers, these new Christ followers have zip influence in the community they've been called to reach because they're not acting like the little Christs that they're supposed to be. And that's what happens. Sin follows division. And having zero influence follows sin. A couple more things and then we'll call it a, we'll call it a time. What happens is, is in chapter 12, it, he's talking about the spiritual gifts, but all, that's the diversity, this beauty of diversity in that Stephen has different gifts from Leslie and Leslie has different gifts from, from Robin and Robin has different gifts from Fred. And, and we could go around and we all have different gifts, but we all serve the same Lord. We all are, are breathing by the same Holy Spirit. We all serve the same purpose for whatever he's called us to. And, and then we go into chapter 13, which is often used at marriages, but it's really bigger than that. This, this concept of love, the, the, the faith, hope, and love idea, it's really, it's meant for the church body. Yes, sir. Which takes us back to one of the first thoughts we had when this is all about other people. What, how I'm living, what, not just what I believe, but how I'm living impacts the people around me. And that's the only way that I can move forward. And then that's why he goes into this love chapter because he's saying this is the greatest thing that we can offer each other. This is what puts us on the same page. This is what helps us fight the enemy. And this is what helps us impact the community around us. Turn with me to chapter 15 and then we're going to wrap up. This has been 1 Corinthians in a very small nutshell. It's like a pistachio nutshell. Chapter 15, look at verses 56 through 58. 
And I, want you to, I do want you to answer question number seven. I'm going to read it, but then I want you to respond to it. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, excuse me, let me go up. The, death, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be steadfast, be immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let me, let me say that last part. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The work that you do, the obedience that you carry out, the assignments that he places on you, you do not labor in vain. Whether you are a baseball coach mentoring young lives, whether you are like my brother and you are a basketball coach discipling 12 players every year, if God has called you uh, to serve tables uh, at a restaurant, if God has called you to volunteer in some sort of capacity like VBS, which is June the 13th through the 16th, um, <laughs> And we, we need more people. I'm just saying, whatever it is, you find out and you be here and volunteer. I'll be doing something that day. I think I'm teaching. Um, whatever, you, whatever God has called you to do, when we are on the same page, when we are unified, when we are, when we are urging, go back to what, what I'm saying, when we are encouraging each other on, when we, are, when we are the accountability partners, when we are holding each other accountable, when we are making sure that sin does not infiltrate our camp. Don't get me wrong, we're all sinners. But what was happening in the church of Corinth was they were living lifestyles of sin as believers. That seems like a contradiction, but keep in mind, they were new in their faith, but they weren't giving it all up. They weren't in full surrender. And they were not unified either. And they were not allowing the Holy Spirit to change their lives. It happens as we get into the second letter, which you'll get. You'll see transformations begin to happen. But what happens is, they be, Paul is saying, you've got a task that you've been assigned to. You've got a purpose. You've got a purpose greater than yourself. You've got a purpose all around you, starting with the body that you're in, and then the community that you've been placed in to reach. And what you do as you labor, it will not be in vain. Which takes us back to Isaiah. This is the word of God. is like the rain that falls from the heavens. It will not return back to him without accomplishing what it's set out to do. Just like he purposes in and through us to accomplish his tasks on this side of life. The church at Corinth was, was just a big, hot dumpster fire. It was a hot, hot mess. But what God did through the church at Corinth, as Paul began to disciple them and make them more like Christ, is nothing short of amazing. Because he transformed this incredibly lost people and made them an impact for the kingdom that resonated as it went uh, the church of Corinth impact went east and it went south into Africa as well in ways that we, we, we may never know until the other side of life. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the youth that are over there with Josh. Thank you for the kids that are over there with a number of people who have given of their evenings. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for what we can learn from it. Lord, I pray 
that you would work through um, my stumbling this evening through it, and that you would make us more like you because we, we know a little bit more than we did when we walked in. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.